coming at you from Scratcher Wolf Studio. It's that time again to reach across the internet. It's your very favorite Werewolf the Apocalypse podcast. As always, I'm your host, Porter. Sitting to my right, they call him the human tripod, but only because he walks with a cane, Mr. Tommy Dixon. How's it going? What's up, Tom? Oh, you know, we're, we're missing somebody. We are. Uh, Daniel Tyson is currently on assignment. To cure his hangover? That's right. We are coming the day after Mr. Tyson's birthday. That's uh, sweet 16 for him. Congratulations, buddy. Yep. But, uh, you know, it's not just the two of us, though. Really? Well, you, you knew that because you set this shit up. I don't know what your problem is. I, mean, I, I didn't know this. You've been hitting the head maybe too many times. Well, there was a party last night. That's true. All right. <laughs> so let's say it's sitting in for, for Danny. Okay. We have our dear friend from the great white north. Melissa, welcome back to the show. <laughs> Thank you for having me back. And not just her. It takes more than one person to replace Daniel Tyson. Wow. The, I don't know, 14-time RAI guest <laughs> champion. Still still waiting on his steak knife set. Mr. C. Grant Rose. Grant, what is up? How's it going? Eventually, you know, I'm going to get hungry. I don't want to eat those knives. Well, you're not supposed to eat the knives, sir. He's got a plan. I, I think you're doing it wrong. <laughs> I mean, we did say they might be made of Play-Doh, but you're not supposed to eat that either. So, look. It says non-toxic on the jar. I was about <laughs> to say, you can eat that if you really want to. I suppose ultimately anything can be food. It's true. <laughs> Don't try that at home. Not sponsored. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to get so sued at some point. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Holy shit. If All we right. ever get big enough. <laughs> hey yo. Hey yo. <laughs> So, Graham Mel, great to have you guys with us today. Great to be here. Great to have you. Uh, great to be seen. <laughs> oh, great to have us. <laughs> Shit. It's Melissa across the internet now. <laughs> so what are we here for today, guys? Well, we're here to put on a show, Dingus. I am a Dingus. I never get to say that anyway. I know. It's a nice change of pace. Yeah. <laughs> this is, uh, you know, between our, our actual play. You know, hey, we thought we'd put a real show on again. So, hey, oh, <laughs> but we had the Q&A, right? You know, which was still actual play related. Mm-hmm. So, but this will air oh. well after a reg- few regular shows. <laughs> so that's almost a whole month of uh, Let's Plays and Let's Play uh, related information. That's what I'm saying. It's got a point. Grant's keeping up better than I am. That's yeah, a little messed up. Thanks for yeah. listening to the podcast. Yeah, yeah, right. All right. And this guy. I think it's the first time I've got to use that before. I think that's true. That is true. How did that feel, actually? Actually. I'm not sure yet. I'm confused. <laughs> a little rough first, as you first use. <laughs> that's it's a nice. first time. Yeah, that happens a lot. It's always nice to throw that out there. That always feels good the first, you know, the, thanks for listening to a podcast. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> but on that note, we want to thank you guys out there for listening to the podcast. And we, we definitely appreciate all of your support. Um, we will say that um, if you feel we deserve it, we remind you that we have our Ko-Fi out there. It's a great way you can support the podcast, uh, ko-fi.com slash Rage Across the Internet. Links um, to it on our website, rageacrosstheinternet.com. Yep. Dot com. Dot com. Perfect. There we go. Yep, we're done with it. <laughs> haven't done that in a while either. I know we haven't. That's why I left that back. space. <laughs> we know you either missed it or really didn't, but it's coming back either way. Uh, Get the link to our forum, or there's our forums there, link to our Discord. Yep. 
Many, many ways to talk to us. Absolutely. Um, of course, you can email ragecrosspodcast at uh, gmail.com. And, um, you know, if, if we mentioned the Ko-Fi, if you're not in a position to financially support, you know, to, to give donation, or you just don't want to, I mean, that's cool. But remember, you can also help us by getting the word out. You know, um, reviews, that's a big thing, too. Anything to help us get out to more people. Um, we definitely appreciate anything you can do, anything you have done, anything you'll do in the future. Put I, us in more ear holes. Yes. With awkward silence. Well, now that you fucking put a hat on it. I was, I was trying to figure out if it's, a, if it's something to really talk about when it comes to, you know, bystander syndrome and a lot of people that may or may not, you know, follow the podcast or go into the forums and things. If they were like the only one there, you know, I think it's really big for creators to have people to support their stuff, um, even if they, they're the only one. I would agree with that. And I guess, speaking of, how, <laughs> what, what are you working on these days, Grant? What, what, what's in the, what are we looking forward to? So I'm still working on Enoch by night. And obviously that's, it's taken forever for real life as I've slowed down the development on that quite a bit. I've got a lot of really awesome art that's coming out with it. I'm still waiting on my artists to keep pushing me stuff. Uh, once the art's done, I'm just going to go straight to editing. <clears throat> in the meantime, I'm still working on a few things for Savage Age as well. You know, the player's guide is going to be coming out soon, and we have it's, – it's a, it's a big book. It's a bigly book, so we have a lot of stuff that's going to be going into that as well. And a bunch of Wraith stuff, because I love Wraith. Well, and it's interesting you bring up Wraith. I mean, as it but it's <laughs> kind of what we're here for. It's, it's a little bit what we're here for. And I think um, this would be a great way to. It's a good segue. Yeah. Good. Let's, let's roll on into it is, you know, um, we know a thing or two about Garu around here. Interestingly enough, but you know, they are not the only things in the world of darkness. And while um, we can sit here and put a show with hundreds of episodes, possibly. Maybe. You know, somewhere at least in the 130 range, you know, about Werewolf. I couldn't tell you shit about, say, Changeling or Wraith, you know, or, you know, a lot of stuff that's out there in the world. Dark. So, you know, as a storyteller, you don't want to limit yourself away from that stuff. So here we are. We thought we'd grab a couple friends who know a little bit more about the other dozens of the world of darkness and uh, go into the, the greater the wide world of darkness. Ooh. Title. Yeah, that's right. The Wide, Wide World of Darkness. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Mel liked that one. I think yeah. that's going to be the title. I did. I like that <laughs> oh, a no, lot. Oh, for sure. <laughs> the Wide World of Darkness, yeah. There we go. Maybe two wides. But how many wides is too many wides? When does it get too wide? When you have to buy a second plane ticket. That's, yeah. That's fair. That's fair. Damn. You like nailed it right in the head. Yeah, no, but that was there wasn't a joke there. Just no. now I feel like that's the point. That is the point. You, you hit the nail on the head. Like I didn't expect a real answer. Yeah, no, right. <laughs> that's why we we're all like just astonished. The joke didn't continue. It was just like, no, that's right. <laughs> so Wraith in World of Darkness trying to. Well, actually, I want to actually want to wait on Wraith. Do you want to wait on Wraith? Yeah. All right. So like, I just kind of, you know, we we, we have. To, the segue like, ah, fuck it we're gonna wait on that one actually i think it's probably let's start with the most obvious is dracula's Blah. that's right you know the umpires themselves <laughs> blood drinking baseball playing <laughs> leslie nielsen you know <laughs> rulers of the known world that's right you know the serial loving one two counting sparkly 
sparkly fang baron. Don't don't add those there. Older, bro- <laughs> <laughs> older brothers of the world of darkness. The well, for how long they live, they would be older brothers. Well, they were the first game, so there you go. But so obviously, and I mean, we don't have to go too far. This one because you know we've talked about leeches before. Everyone's aware of leeches. There's not a whole lot of. Um, there's not a lot of mystery here. I don't think uh, vampire is something that people have a hard time wrapping their head around, frankly. But but we're here to put on a show. So yeah, and to you know, bring being, them in as antagonists again isn't hard. No, because that's pretty on par with what we do with the Werewolf Nation too, with Garu and all that. Yeah, and I mean, let's see. Let's start with what we know. Obviously, is that um, you know they are walking corpses and are therefore worm tainted. And I guess I, we, we better be clear before we start this. This is a werewolf show. <laughs> and that's the lens we're looking through. Mm-hmm. Sad panda. Sad panda. Why are you sad? Because vampires and uh, the world of darkness are probably the most flexible splat in the entire world of darkness. They're just, they're awesome in so many ways. That's weird. <laughs> <laughs> Well, no, I mean, you know, we uh, were obligated to bust balls a little bit here and there. But, but no, we, you know, bottom line, it's a world show. We, we, we're looking at these through the lens of the Garu. You know, we're not going to, we're not going to call them lupines for fuck's sake. That, that's vampire shit, right? And that's fine, but this ain't that show. So, you know, obviously the vampires are all over the cities. So I think the, the right place to start here would be with uh, the leeches themselves, the, the first game. To come out of the world of darkness is the vampires, which I have zero clue on. You have a little bit of a clue, just on what we did show. do an episode. I wasn't on that episode. Thanks for listening That's to the right podcast. <laughs> There's a lot of damn episodes to remember. Okay, <laughs> I've only been doing this for four fucking seasons. Yeah, well, then there's four also seasons. the guilty. That yeah, that's how I know them through the lens of the Garu, which is again to remind everybody what we're going for here. This will all be through the lens of the Garu. Mm -hmm. So yeah, let's talk about vampires. So like I mentioned in the, uh, the episode that we did on the vampires and the kindred, um, the biggest thing for guru and guru storytellers is how to properly utilize, uh, the kindred in their games. Um, they have to understand that yes, on a one-on-one fight, uh, a guru will be able to take out kindred almost any any situation almost all the time. It's like a 99.5% success ratio. But kindred are sneaky. Like even if you, you know, are involved in a situation in which you have that, it's going to be very rare. He's got a point. That's true. And I think it's important to be careful, especially if you're well-versed in, in the various different games, to remember that what you know about Vampire and what the average Garu knows about vampire isn't the same thing. And I think keeping that perspective in mind, and this is going to be true all the way through this entire episode with everything, mm-hmm. will be, you know, your characters, your NPCs, the player characters have not read the Vampire the Masquerade book. Mm-hmm. You know, in and, and making sure you're careful with that kind of knowledge is important. Um, and I would also offer, and again, I'll, you'll hear about this, through all of the different games is that, you know, it's probably a good idea or at least a fun idea to, to bring forth that misinformation. You know, it's, it's what 
play on the misinformation. Right. Yeah, because it's through the Garu lens. They don't actually have that book in front of them. They don't know Vampire Society. Well, exactly. And now something that I learned, which I thought was really cool and also a little baffling um, from a more practical standpoint, but in my research uh, during the during the guilty, uh, I learned that, you know, through the lens of the kindred, the Garu were totally the boogeyman. Really? Oh, yeah. It's never played. Yeah, it's, you never hear about characters played it up that way. That's that's not true. Well, I it's I don't. Uncommon. Yeah. 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 It's it's uncommon, and yet you know, like I mentioned before, it's uh, it's one of those things that at your table, your splat that you're playing is going to have the preeminent position. So a lot of people when they're playing vampire, they're like, oh, vampire is the most important splat, therefore they're going to be the most powerful. So on and so forth. You know, everyone's a superhero in their own mind, right? And when you're storytelling a game, you want your your players to have that that feeling that they're the most centralized aspect to the plot because they are. So it's uncommon for a storyteller to introduce Guru in a vampire game because they are such a uh, a boogeyman. And even if they do, they really uh, cut them back on their power and capabilities uh, versus how they're actually written in the werewolf game. Because, I mean, it's no fun if this creature can come out of nowhere and give you a total party kill um, just because your party's not prepared. It's not D&D. They can't just re-roll characters in 10 minutes and be done with it. And while I agree with that, at the same time, um, I a little bit call bullshit on that. Because, you know, I can throw a Nexus crawler at these guys. In fact, I have thrown Nexus crawlers at these guys. And at no point did they entertain... Fighting it. Right. You know, it was something, it was a bigger animal than them, and they knew that. That can be okay. (laughs) Absolutely. And I think that also comes down to the game design differences between the two splats. Werewolf is much more of a combat-oriented game. It's, It's intimately familiar with the fact that their characters are going to get into a violent conflict, and that combat's probably going to happen, you know, pretty commonly. Vampire, you can actually have a whole chronicle where combat doesn't occur uh, because of how focused it is on social intrigue and those types of social cultural aspects that the vampire world is, is, you know, wading through. You can have whole stories where the possibility for combat is there, but it just doesn't happen. So a lot of players just don't use those types of, of things in their games like Guru that is going to force that issue. Certainly not picking on that. You know, I just, um, it just, it's always bothered me that to learn that the Garou are, you know, these big, uh, the, uh, these, the, the boogeyman, the thing of the dark. And I think that's really cool, right? Because when you put it in perspective, the kid don't know what the fuck the Umbra is. They certainly don't understand how the gauntlet works. Why would they? Right. So the idea of, of knowing how the, you know, knowing how all that works on our side of things, right. But then to put it in the perspective of someone who doesn't, it's just the werewolves can randomly appear somewhere. And then randomly fucking disappear. And that's fucking terrifying. That is a concept right there. On top of the fact that they're bullet sponges and heal super fast and Right, like all the other shit. Yeah. And then they could just appear. Just you're walking down the street and one kid just bamf just teleport in out of fucking nowhere. (laughs) This is that concept is crazy. Uh, <laughs> it makes sense, though, if you look at it through the vampire's eyes, for sure. No, exactly. And that's what I'm talking about, how the different perspectives, it, it matters. It makes a difference. Mm-hmm. But it's just funny, as you know, you know, I came up, um, I spent a lot of time in the old White Wolf HTML chats back in the day. I mean, I haven't referenced that in forever. Mm-hmm. But, you know, and 
I don't think there was a single player in there who acted like Garu were a threat at all. Mm. So to read the canonically, that's not how that goes. Not at all. And you I never ran my tables like that. Yeah. It's just like, so, oh, all right. And I know I'm sort of in the minority when it comes to that uh, with my vampire games. You know, I, I haven't allowed them to steamroll uh, Guru or any other uh, Pharah in my games. I've actually instituted a, a modified form of delirium, even for vampires, when it comes to encountering Guru, because I want them to role play how they really would against something like that. You know, I mean, if you're walking down the alleyway as a vampire and all of a sudden, you know, the big bad wolf comes out of nowhere. You're not going to try to fight it or have a conversation with it. You're going to go into fight or flight mode like, oh, fuck, it's going to eat me. What do I do? See, excellent. And the thing is, is the reason I bring this up at all, right, isn't to pick on vampire players, the ones that do, you know, but it, it's to illustrate that how, how you want to handle it from the other side of the road, mm-hmm. you know, and it was kind of the, the thought process. The reason we're doing this episode really is that, you know, if you don't know anything about mage or wraith or changeling, how are you handling this? And, and you want to be able to do it in a way that's true to the world of darkness and, you know, know how to handle where if you don't have that expertise, this is what we're, here, this is what we're doing here today, you know? Or for sure. Uh, for sure. And I mean, for me, I got started playing where, uh, vampire before I played werewolf. And while I generally don't mix the two, werewolves don't know anything about vampires other than the fact that they are... Uh, at certain levels, um, uh, worm creatures, they are of the worm. They, some of them with a very low humanity can be that taint that, you know, they associate with creatures of that are of the worm. And for me, there's a lot of misinformation out there about vampires that guru are feeding off. Like, you know, can't cross running water, don't have a reflection, you know, they need to be invited in. Like, all these different, like, crosses, send them, like, scattering, like... They're allergic all to garlic. These, this also, yeah, garlic. All this misinformation, rumor, and, and stuff like that it is out there. And for the guru that's, you know, it's like, okay, you know, we're going to investigate something, and I've used this, it's like, okay, you're going to investigate something suspicious, and they come across a vampire and they're not sure exactly what these vampires can do. And they're like, well, can I roll perception plus a cult? Well, not really. Cause you know, nothing. You literally know nothing other than they will die <laughs> at the hands of they're awake at night. Mm-hmm. That's yes. what, you know, that's effectively what, you know, they are awake at night. And when they come out during the day, you're not exactly sure because you've never actually seen one during the daylight hours. So I, I make sure that I play upon the misinformation that a simple Google search would tell them. Well, then I mean, it definitely goes the same way for werewolves as well. And it's, mm-hmm. it, you bring it up is this something that I've, I've talked about this a couple times is the storyteller's companion that came with the revised screen, mm-hmm. which I am currently holding, you know, it's and a good it, book. It is. It's a for, very informational. Yeah, it's like there's just like three and a half pages to it, but <laughs> but it's a good three and a half pages. Exactly. <laughs> um, you know, and there's that that whole chapter section about exactly what we're talking about here is what the Garu know about the different Desians of the World of Darkness, 
and you know you get those little fun text boxes of what most guys know vampires and there's the five or six bullet points which um if you have access to that book again do it you know uh, make sure make sure to check it out and if you find it on the cheap pick it up because it's it's a small book but it's it's it's, it's useful it's, yeah it's very useful especially if you're an st very yeah. very useful but what it won't tell you is how to best handle using them in a game so and i mean obviously with vampires you're probably going to want to go something more uh political um definitely suited to a um a more city, uh, city-oriented game. You know, we did the guilty, mm-hmm. which was all about the severing of a shoe. The cliff notes for those of you who have not gone to our Ko-Fi, maybe bought the guilty bundle or have uh, just were backers the whole time and got it naturally for the postmortem series. But you know, the premise of the guilty was the breaking of it a lot of a truce. You know, in New Orleans and the uh, the events that resulted. From, from the uh, severing of that little agreement. Mm-hmm. And if your players don't know a thing, don't let them open the book. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> don't, don't let them read off screen. <laughs> so I think that um, <clears throat> that lack of actual knowledge of Guru, of what the Kindred actually are and their capabilities, should really be played up by the werewolf storyteller. You know, you have all of these different types of kindred and vampire, and they have all these spread of powers that you may or may not be aware of. You know, you have one clan that can actually make darkness, the shadows, and basically come alive and do crazy shit. And that's an easy thing to, to spring on a group pack. You know, they're out there doing whatever, fighting the worm, and all of a sudden the darkness is fighting them back, and they know what the fuck's going on because it's not, they can't smell it. They can't detect it. It's just like they walk outside and then the shadow behind 7-Eleven is just whooping their ass. You know, you can really create that suspense and really ramp it up for a, a pack using these random vampire powers because they, they attack from, from obfuscation. You know, they, not intended for people that follow vampire. They attack from a position where they are hidden and they're protected because they know on a one-on-one battle, uh, the guru's going to wipe them out. And most kindred, they're embraced. They have a sire, so they have this mentorship. So they have a little bit of an understanding about other denizens of the world of darkness because they have a sire that's been around for hundreds of years saying, hey, they're Gru, they're the big bad wolves, they'll fuck you up. So if you encounter one and you can, run. Otherwise, be sneaky and stab them in the back and then run. <laughs> you know? So if you're looking at it from that perspective, that's how you can really use those those kindred and canines in your game. It is basically as as use them as guerrilla tactics. You know, anything you would think of as a guerrilla force that would attack a stronger army throughout whatever, that's the perfect way to fit vampires into your game. The hit and run tactic, yep. And it's important to know that if you don't, you know, if you are the player who doesn't know anything about vampires, you know, I mean you you have your factions and you have your different clans. You know, Grant mentions, you know, you have the sires and that, that matters that, that can factor in you taking out a a random vampire, you know, just a random happenstance somewhere in the city. Well, that vampire is a sire somewhere. Does that factor in? He's got a daddy. Exactly. He's got a daddy. It does factor in. Yeah. And how does it factor in? Yeah. How does it factor in? How big of a deal is that sire? Is that sire? These are all things you can play with for your game. Now, as an ST, do you worry more about the statting of this thing? So if you have this as an antagonist in your game and they are going to fight this vampire, should you worry about the statting? Should you be 
Should we be researching that? Oh, absolutely. Okay. But um, can you overstat a vampire to make it impossible to kill? Yes. Most I mean, definitely. Okay. Sure. So just be careful with that. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. the big ones to, to go, go ahead, Melissa. I never stat my vampire antagonists impossible to kill. I make them a challenge. And as you said, I usually use something like Lazombra powers or something that, um, you know, they can, that it's just something that they never would have considered ever it being sort of uh, something a vampire could do. But I never make it so impossible that it actually makes the guru feel like they are not as powerful. So I, I'm very careful about the balance. Yeah, I think when you're you're studying this type of enemy, you want to make sure um, you want to do some research. I mean, there are sample stats mm-hmm. out there. Mm-hmm. Like you know, there are books that will do like I hear use this for a vampire, or you know, that will suggest things if you don't have access to. But yeah, you want to be careful. But you definitely want to make sure you're you're, you're careful when you stat these things because you can't overstat. You can understat. Right. Mm. So I think it's easiest whenever you're static a vampire for, for Guru Chronicles is to pay attention to the physical disciplines. So you have three physical disciplines. You have one for speed, one for stamina, and one for um, like endurance, right? So you have one for strength and endurance, sorry. So you have one, which is called potence, where the vampire is preternaturally strong. Every point in potence is already an exponential, stronger than a normal person. So if you put five in that, you know, that vampire can go around picking up cars like it's nothing and throwing it around, you know. So in, in addition to its normal strength, uh, same thing when it comes to um, celerity, which is speed. Like every dot in celerity, if you're using the V20 rules, is an extra action before dice splitting and all that stuff. It's like it's a literal extra action. So if you give five celerity to a vampire antagonist, that's five moves that this vampire can make before your pack can move, regardless of initiative. Um, and then fortitude's the big one. Every dot of fortitude, you use that to soak aggravated damage, all forms of aggravated damage. So if you give them five dots of fortitude, they're tanky as shit. It's going to take your pack a long time to take them out. You could easily um, overstat these mm-hmm. guys then. Wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, and it's it's not, when it comes to the different power levels of vampire, the new vampires are the weakest. Typically, they only have one dot of physical discipline. Um, but the stronger ones, you know, the physical disciplines are the easiest ones for vampires to learn. You know, there's like almost no thing. There's nothing that prevents them from learning it as they grow older, you know, just through time and practice and experience. So when you start getting to the mid-level strength vampires and the elders, the really strong ones, you know, they're going to have three to five dots and, and, you know, multiple physical disciplines. So you have those, those elders, they probably have all three and they probably have at least three dots in all three. So they're, they're going to be pretty difficult. To, you can't just take them on. You know, there's a reason why, you know, in Rage Across Russia, you had Victor, it was brought up in the Discord uh, the other day, why the pack ambushed him while he was, like, melted in the earth and asleep. Because if they had waited and took him straight on, the vampire of that strength was 6-gen, 6-gen Gangrel, may have been able to take out that entire pack because he'd been around since, you know, Jesus was a thing, literally. And that's a lot of power and a lot of experience that this particular creature has developed over the two millennia of its existence. Like even getting the jump on him, that he still wiped out like two or three guru. And that's 
pretty on par with their power levels. You could easily fuck up and make a make a vampire that's supposed to be a neonate for your pack, which is a beginning vampire. You can make them too strong, and then your pack's getting TPK'd because you didn't pay attention to their capabilities. It's definitely good information. Just make sure you watch your static. Yeah. Now, the vampires, this was the easy one, let's face it. Mm-hmm. You know, It's, it's uh, going to aggressively get harder from here. Yeah, everyone has heard of vampires. It's already straight. It's pretty straightforward. So let's move to something a little... A little more uh magical yeah tell tell us about uh <laughs> stage magicians melissa <laughs> <laughs> mage is my one of my favorite games because i had played sort of like dungeons and dragons before and they have very set spells and you can memorize and you have to memorize them for the next day and i found it very limiting so when i played mage for the first time it was kind of like, okay, you can pretty much do whatever you want. What? <laughs> and that is literally how you can approach this. Guru know frighteningly little about mages and what mages can do. And mages are humans by and large. So going toe-to-toe with a werewolf, there is no soaking without very high-level life magic to soak a guru's claws. End of story. There is, like, nothing these mages can do. So mages will not get involved in a toe-to-toe with a guru. But a well-prepared mage, it's a bit different. It's, um, they can do things, but they basically have a one chance to do it before they have to get the hell out. So they're, what it breaks down to is they have the traditions, which try to are trying to awaken humanity and then you have the the technocracy that are trying to keep things as they are under the control um you know keep the humanities information down right they don't want you to know about the world of darkness they don't want you to know what's going on they want to keep this nice little bubble around humanity and i have used both to uh, tradition mages as well as technocracy against players. And it all depends on what you want to use the mages for. So that would be my first question to any storyteller. What is the reason that you have a mage either reaching out to the players or working against the, 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 the players, your werewolves? Because you have the dream speakers and the dream speakers use spirit magic in the exact same way that the, um, the guru do. They can go through the umbra. I think it's like level three spirit magic that you can go into the umbra. So the dream speakers would actually be a good ally for guru. Maybe not the sons of ethers that are very techy, but if you, if you have a lot of glass walkers in your group, the sons of ether are going to be a fun group to interact with. So I have a, I have a thought process on that mm-hmm. myself. Um, so ghost Paul reached out to me hell, probably over a year ago about his game that he was running. And I was talking about the virtual adepts and the sons of ether and things. Mm-hmm. Because his pack was going through the farm at the time. And I think there was somewhere on Pluto, Pluto, or one of those other far reaching outer planets. And I know in Mage, one of those planets actually has an outpost of mages that sit there and they have like a home base and things. 
Yeah. And that was a really good opportunity for him to use those people there as possible antagonists, possible allies for the pack. They're already a fish out of water. They're already going through the Far Umbra. And these mages are already intimately familiar with it. So he could really inject this unknown, unquantified uh, monkey wrench into his games with him. And it was something that most of his players are going to have no experience with because they're not mage players. Mm -hmm. So I got to talk to him. I sent him some excerpts from from the uh, tradition book and things like that. And he really ran with it. And it really worked for him to be able to use these as, hey, these aren't normal people. Why the hell they're all the way out here in the farm, bro? Why do they have all these crazy powers that we have no idea about how to even contemplate approaching? Mm-hmm. And uh, it really worked for them. So. Yeah, so when I ran my game, I had my characters fall into a, a what they would have been a, a, a technocracy-created realm. And they using the progenitors, which is a group of sort of mad scientists, as you, as you were, they thought they were in a wild realm because they found all these creatures that should not be, and yet here they are. So these mages had created all these things for our players to interact with, all my players to interact with. So every time they shifted, every time they healed, something, one of these little, like a bug or something like a mosquito would come along and take a blood sample. Because mages wanted to, these mages wanted to understand how, first of all, what werewolves could do. Second of all, how to defeat them. Because they, the technocracy considers werewolves to be reality deviants. They don't bend to the reality that the technocracy wants. So they know very little about werewolves. But in this case, I sent my players through this. And I, we spent months, and the, real, and the players could never understand how they ended up here, but they were somehow in a wild realm, and I had so much fun with this. Because literally mages can do whatever they want to await awakened creatures. So vampires, other mages, werewolves, they're all already awakened, so the paradox would be very little indeed. Now, you start throwing fireballs from your hands in front of the general public, paradox comes along and the universe goes bad mate and smacks them around until they learn their lesson. If they don't learn their lesson, they ended up in a they end up in a paradox uh, uh, realm that they have to figure a way out. But, and but that's amends. but that's mage stuff. I mean, that's a little deep for them yes. being in a werewolf game. So if you, add, this is why I'm saying if you want to sort of create a, a mage, figure out what their method is. Which side are they, they playing with? Are you wanting them to be a, an antagonist, in which case you can use the technocracy for that, or just a crazy mage who just decides to explode every which way? Or are you going to have them as like an um, an ally? And you can use mages to be allies. So my question is, how do you stat that? How would you stat that? That's a good question. Yeah. Basically, if you can think of anything that a mage can do, a, a mage can change anything as long as they have the right disciplines. 
or uh, disciplines, gifts, whatever you want to call it. There are set gifts that mages can use. So if they want to boost their life, they can do that with life magic. If you want to sort of make them change the properties of matter, they can do that. So just when you create your mage, where you stat it, remember these are just humans. And if they go toe-to-toe with a werewolf that lasts beyond the first round, they're going to die. Doesn't matter. They're going to die. Well, now the other side of that coin is how do Garu see mages? Do they even think they exist? Well, they know they exist. They do, but they don't know enough about mages. They know What they know is that they are, in some of the cases, a product of the, the weaver because they're always interchanging. And they are a danger to a cairn because the same magic, the same thing that the magic requires to create it, the same thing we call gnosis in a cairn. So a group of mages sucking the life out of a cairn is going to irritate a lot of guru. No, that's war at that point. Oh, well, again, the mages would never survive. They would never survive. So that doesn't happen all that often, but they do recognize that mages are a danger to a guru sacred place. So I like to use mages in my games rarely um, because they, they, they really are kind of weak when it comes to a lot of things. Mm-hmm. But I like using them as sort of like hunters that can enter the Umbra and chase the pack. I think that has a really big impact on a pack whenever they have this these people that can, you know, like you said, throw fireballs or whatever. And they're like, oh, shit, I'm just going to shoot to the Umbra and get away from these crazy things. And then next thing you know, boom, the mage is in the Umbra as well. Yeah. Yeah. That's the long and short of mages. And mages can be allies. They have certain tribes, if you will, that are open to discourse with the with Guru, and then in other cases, would be a very hard sell. Uh How magnanimous of them. (laughs) No, it's more like the Guru would never accept that. Yeah, so in my opinion, I think Mage as a splat is probably the most difficult to integrate into any of the other splats, um, just based on virtue of what they are and how they mess with reality and things like that. They they almost demand to be front and center uh, in, in a game. And if they're not, then you almost sell that splat short. So you can use them pretty easily as something for your pack to just smash. But when it comes to integrating the lore in a meaningful manner, it's much more difficult. I know some people have been successful in doing that, but like I said, it's, it's much more difficult, in my opinion, the most difficult of the splats to integrate. Well, that's fair. But I think there's a point of that too, where uh, how much of that lore are you really going to need to integrate? Because what we're talking about, ideally... You know, I mean, if you're looking to run a long-term game with, you know, like a pack of Garu, like teaming up with a mage, with a sketchy vampire ally, like I don't, I'm already bored and I'm already not interested in having that conversation. (laughs) But, (laughs) you know, you don't, there's a level to where you need the lore and there's a level to where you don't, you know, you're not going to, um, you know, say a team up with a mage, you know, for some reason doesn't matter 
you know, you're not going to divulge to them the inner secrets and workings of the Gaur Nation any more than they are going to tell you about their show at the Gothic Castle Thursday nights at six. <laughs> Where they're pulling a Lepix out of a hat. That's right. Lepix, by the way, on Sam the Storyteller's Vault. It's uh, written by uh, Mr. Seagram <laughs> Rose, isn't it? It is. It is. I'm. I have a revision, and I promise to have it posted up around Thanksgiving. Oh, and I oh, just don't have make been promises. forgetting. <laughs> don't make promises. And, uh, I know. I've already broke that promise, but it is. It is already revised. I just have to get off my my ass and upload it from my my uh, office computer. So that, that was whatever that does. <laughs> That was some shameless shit I just did there. <laughs> I just couldn't help myself. Shameless, I think. It's still pretty cheap. Right now, I think it's like $3, and that goes just to pay the artist for their work. Um, whenever I upload the revision, the price will go up probably about a dollar, a dollar and a half. So if you all want to get the revised version for cheap, now would be the time to go ahead and make that happen. Still worth the money. Yeah, good advice. Yeah. It's a good read. But back to it. Back to that, that you know, that completely shameless plug yeah oh my god <laughs> the deep lore of a particular game like you're not going to be sharing that stuff with the character anyway mm-hmm. so i think there's, it's important to manage what what is important and what isn't when you go to mix that stuff together you know i i can't imagine be it mage and we'll, we'll stick with mage here you know you meet in that mage and you become friends and then they tell you all about all of the different traditions and what they think and feel right that's not that's not just, that's not even how people talk, you know? So I, I think lore management, and this is again true with all the games, is important because, you, like you mentioned, Grant, how difficult you feel, feel how difficult it is to integrate them with, with the other games. But there's only so far you have to go with any of them. You know, if you have that vampire contact that your pack shadow lord wants to manipulate and use to, you know, to get the, the bigger fish. Again, that, that vampire might let you know about the Camarilla and the Sabbat, but isn't going to tell you about what the different clans are up to. Or even that there are clans of right. different types. Right, that probably wouldn't come up either. The so. same way that Shadow Lord isn't going to go, yeah, the stupid Silver Fangs, which, by the way, are another tribe of the nation. They're led by a guy named Jonas Albrecht. He's kind of a dick. He's over here in New England. And then uh, the Geta Fenris, they're another tribe. Like That's not going to happen already. So there's a level where you don't need to worry about it, integrating all of that lore. But I think it's important in the course of this episode that we go over what probably would be important. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? No, I, I totally concur. Yeah. I think that by and large, the anything that has to do with the socio-political specific information in a splat is going to be uh, confidential information that a denizen of that splat is not going to share with Guru. And more, uh, same thing with uh, their powers. And moreover, I think it's something that would bog down the narrative of the game. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, we've got to look at that practically. You're learning a different game at that point, too. Right. Yeah. And, and, and there's so much to learn about Garu that that would just bog down your players. Right. You know, and then there's the level of, well, do they want or need to know? Right. You know, if you were a vampire player and you're somehow, again, you're meeting a Garu, you're getting out, you know, you're allying with this Garu through whatever machinations the storyteller has, right? And you start going into Garu deep lore, your vampire players are bored in 10 minutes, probably. Five. (laughs) Because they didn't sign up to learn about werewolves, right? They want to play vampire, not get a lecture on werewolf. They just want to know how to kill them or when to run. My point is we got to be careful with the exposition. Right. 
you know, and again, know what to give and what not to give. Yeah. I've never had any, any guru in my game till the, the coterie, which is like the vampire packs called a coterie. Um, Thank you. <laughs> they, they, they haven't like given any actual information to them at all. It's, Oh shit. There's a, there's a guru. What's going on. Um, the only weird in between where a uh, where creature communicated with my pack was a best step that only communicated with one of my players because it was a ancestor of that particular Bastet. And even then it was is short and like them basically saying how far you've fallen, you know, you you are of what you could have been, so on and so forth. Good way to integrate that in. Right. And so on that note, Mal, what what do you think is and isn't necessary in terms of mage? For uh, you know, for their appearance in a in werewolf, mages are treated with courtesy at the best, but generally distrust because of what they could do to a cairn, and that's probably what most werewolves are on guard for. So they would werewolves wouldn't tell a mage a single thing about where the carn is or anything like that. Right, but we're we're looking um, at that from the other way. Yeah. Like what would, so yeah. what what would a mage tell what would a mage tell yeah. a Yeah, we're asking as a storyteller, as a werewolf storyteller, you're bringing mm-hmm. in mage. What's necessary for the for to know and what's what's not? You should know what purpose the mage is doing like what is the purpose for the mage is it to be uh, an antagonist or is it to be an ally because it is potential to be a very loose ally where you don't share that much information but you can sort of meet in the middle on certain topics so for instance like a dream speaker they have spirit magic they can create fetish fetishes they can talk to spirits totems are a thing in mage so you could have a discourse but it would always be treated as a suspicion they wouldn't talk about tribes they wouldn't talk about they wouldn't talk about traditions they wouldn't talk about powers or what the powers could be but they there is a sort of middle ground but once that middle ground had been reached, there's no need for it. No, I'm with you. That's what Zoe was. <laughs> One of our games, uh, there was a Zoe, and she was a mage. She was not the only mage in that story. Fair, but so one I, that gave us things. And was an ally. I, I don't really think it's too necessary for a werewolf storyteller learn a whole lot about mage specifically because of how much overlap um, that they have. The Umbra exists in mage as well. So anything having to do with the Umbra is also in mage. So you already have a heads up when it comes to learning that that splat specific stuff because you can just say, hey, this mortal has all these powers and anything that's auxiliary with his totems and the spirits and what they can do, you already have an idea anyway, because it, uh, those concepts already exist in werewolf. That's a good point. Mm. So they're sort of like squishy kinfolk with more power. That's how I would utilize mage in my games. Yeah, for sure. Want to go to your ghosties now? 
Actually, I, I want to go. Actually, 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 that's what we're gonna do. <laughs> actually, I, I would rather touch down on Changeling. Okay, I want to save Wraith for a little. All right, save our ghosty guys. Yeah, yeah, because the other two minor splats are going to segue into that as well. Mummy and Demon have a lot to do with Wraith. Damn, gross. <laughs> <laughs> Changeling is a fun game. It's very fantastical, but it could it can be very dark too. I know nothing, and I don't even know what changeling means. So it's fake so, creatures. Yeah, we're we're it's the fake creatures. It's the okay. fae. Okay, it's the fae. So um, you have everything from a boggin, which is a like a hobbit, up to the the noble she, which are like high elves. Okay. So we're getting into um, big fantasy stuff here, kind of. Yes, so very much so. So everything is based off of glamour and the dreaming. And those are really the only two concepts that you need to kind of have. Well, what are those? So here's, if I can interject. So you have glamour. Glamour equals uh, gnosis equals whatever the hell they use in, in, in uh, Mage. Was it a reed and what else? Mm. Quintessence. Quintessence. Quintessence, yes. Gnosis, and Glamour are all the same spirit energy, just utilized in different ways by a different denizen of the world of darkness. So Glamour is basically Gnosis that is utilized in the creation of potential fantastical elements, right? Mm-hmm. So any any stories you've learned about, they've you know grown up learning about uh, fae and changelings and fairies and all those types of folklore things that oh well the little the little boggins or whatever can come at night and fix all my shoes and then they'll be done in the morning like they would use glamour to make that happen right the thing that I would really focus on when it comes to changeling as far as a werewolf game you have to take into concept what changeling is really about at its core. Changeling is about that feeling of lost innocence. You know, think about when you're kids and you're looking back. At some point in time, every person stops playing pretend and stops fantasizing the way you did as a kid. Like you're no longer talking to your to your imaginary friends. You're no longer making these these crazy uh, imagination um, scenarios and settings unconsciously. Like kids do it just organically. Like you're just they're just going off one day and like, what are you doing? Oh, I'm playing with my imaginary friend and we're playing in the castle and it's a princess and I'm a knight and blah, 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 blah. Right. You think about it at some point in time in your childhood, something clicked and you stopped doing that. That click, that's what changeling is about. That whole loss of that potential of fantasy. And they, they quantify in the game through banality and things like that, um, which is just another stat that they use to, to really explain that feeling. But that's what it's about. So whenever you're bringing Changeling into Werewolf, that's the core drive that, that, that they have is I don't want to lose that potential. So they do everything to avoid that. Um, some of them are aggressive and mean and violent, you know, called at the Hensili, or some of them are more conciliatory and want to try to make things go along to get along. But as far as Guru go, that's what they're trying to do. Their objective is to prevent that loss of that, that fantastical element. And they'll do anything. 
to prevent it because whenever they, they lose it, for them, it's considered a final death type situation. So they're literally fighting for their existence. That's the reason why you had them where they they enslaved the Silicon uh, based on the lore, you know, the, the were kitties because the were kitties were doing whatever and they seen a, a useful tool that they could manipulate to, to, to prevent more banality from coming into their existence. They also enslaved the Genefenris. From and Fiona. Well, no, the Fiona is is different. They're or actually, random Fiona. It's not non-specific, not a trap as a whole, but yeah. Yeah. That would make sense with the Fiona because they're tied closely to Faye. Well, and I, I mean, obviously that's the the first thing you want to bring up, right? This is the first thing that comes to mind. Yeah, is the Fianna, and you know, I mean, we look at the um, Arcadia Gateway, yep. Umbral Realm, and so would perhaps those be the best ways to tie in the uh, the world of Changeling to uh, the world of the Garu? It's it's a real question. I, I have no fucking idea. <laughs> I'm with you. <laughs> I mean, I can definitely see on the Fiona aspect. The Fiona and the House Fiona have a shared link. Um, the there is a group of changelings known as the Puka, and they are shape changers. And it is rumored that the Guru, well, according to the changelings, it is rumored that the Guru were actually Fey at one point but were kicked out for disobeying the orders uh, of staying in their shape-changing forms. And as a result, they have their own sort of thing, their own separate sort of system. Again, it's sort of, it's very a consideration. A satyr might hang out with a bunch of Fianna for parties and drinking and whatever. But at the end of the evening, when every, when the parties go home, they're not going to continue to stay in touch. The only thing that really would be, be through the, the, the house Fiona, which is a very loosely based alliance and the Fianna as a whole, there's a camp related to that that are like Fae touched or something to that effect. I think there's a, a merit with that. The Getafenris absolutely hate the changelings. They'll, anyone who hangs out with a changeling, they will literally kill. So they have a very deep hatred for the she. So it, it depends. It depends on, on what you want to use the, changelings for the changelings are not going to hang around too much with werewolves only because werewolves at certain levels uh, offer a level of banality that they just can't endure so to, to circle back to your original question porter um, when it comes to how to incorporate changelings into guru um, the easiest angle is yes, is use the Fiona and House Fiona and those those correlations to try to integrate them. And even then, you're going to use the Changeling as more of a, a supporting character for the story. They're not really going to be an antagonist. They're not really going to be a protagonist either or an ally in that regard. They're going to be more like, oh, you go here. They know some secrets. You might be able to finagle some stuff. More one-off supporting characters. I would use for changeling for a werewolf. You can build a whole chronicle 
around a big bad changeling and Seelie character. Like you have some troll that uh, for some reason hates Guru and he goes out of his way to to kill Guru or to like drain um, Cairns. They wouldn't drain Cairns, they'd convert Cairns. Um, So what they would do is they would literally steal steal their their spiritual energy for themselves. So that's where I would look at them. I would look at them as like thieves, thieves to the Guru. They're going there and they want the same resources for different reasons. And the changelings could be, you know, worked with so that maybe all could share some resources. But at the same time, they may be just trying to manipulate things to get from the guru for their, you know, for their own stuff. And I mean, I was looking at the changeling book for this and just because I was curious what the changelings thought of guru and their experience with guru has been mostly positive. So they're not out to, you know, harm the guru in any way. In fact, they've actually reached out to the Fianna, obviously, but also the Akatena and some of the changing breeds like um, the Kitsune and have gotten some positive feedback. But if you're going to use them in your game, you have to determine why, what's their motivation. If their motivation is... As Grant said, trickery and manipulation, then that's a different story. If you're looking at for them to sort of create or build bridges, you can do that too. Changelings are a little bit more flexible than, say, a mage. Okay. I liked the gateway idea, though. You could bring an antagonist that way. Mm hmm. Well, and then you've got, looking through the faith, there's. Um, to my understanding, and please correct me if I'm wrong, but mm-hmm. we you have uh, all sorts of these these folklore type creatures. You know, um, you mentioned the Boggins and you know, like uh, banshees and shit like the trolls and shit like that. So, it, I mean, it does. I think it does allow for a level of um, fantasy, uh, higher fantasy type shit that you don't normally get in Werewolf, which is which could be a nice change of pace. I wouldn't make a meal out of it. Mm-mm. You know, I mean, at that point, just run on Ark in the Legendary Realm and go nuts. That's true. But, um, you know, these more fantastic elements, I, I think um, I think there's potential there. So I, I'll, I'll include a story about, like, I'll give an example of how I've used changelings in my games. So my table, we started off playing vampire, so they're already intimately familiar with vampire. Like, so when we play werewolf... Any type of hint that something was leech-like or kindred-like, they're already making assumptions in their mind. As as players, you know, they, they can say the PCs aren't doing this, that, and the other all they want, but in the back of their head, they know the limitations. They know what's going on, mm-hmm. right? Okay, so if they see, like, you know, the Lissambra is a, a great a great example. They see the shadows moving a certain kind of way. In their head, as players, like, oh, that's Lissambra. They're this type of vampire. They have this type of power structure. Like, there's a potential that the game will go in this direction. Right, unconsciously or consciously, it's bound to happen. But there are things in Changeling that sort of mirror or that resemble other splats denizens. So in Changeling, you have the red caps. Red cap, you know, from folklore, the things that like eat children and dip their caps in blood and all that stuff. That's why they're called yep. red caps. It's actually, so I, I would, I would throw like I threw a red cap into their game, and you know, their assumption immediately was like, oh, it's just another kindred, because. 
they didn't really start seeing that, hey, this is something different until the red cap had already been established in the game and that he was already wrecking shit up, you know, and they're like, well, how can this red cap or how can this vampire in their head get into our bond and eat the totems representative or whatever, whatever the case may be. Um, I can't remember exactly. It's been 20 years since I played that game, but I know that I had the red cap entering into their Karen and into their, their bond and actually uh, consuming a vital item or creature. And they, they were blown away. So like vampires can't enter the Umbra and they definitely can't enter the bond. And how do they do that and sneak in there with no one seeing without the step detecting that there's something there? And that's really when they realize that, hey, this is something different. What do I do? No, and that's and that's good. And, you know, it's the thing, one of the first things that came to mind, you know, when I talk about Changeling um, and how to integrate is I think about, um, you know, their, their folklore stories of fairies stealing, you know, stealing children or replacing children. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one of these children so happens to be a kinfolk. I mean, it's simple. It's right there. But, you know. How do you get those streams to cross when normally they're not going to fucking cross? There's maybe an example. Mm-hmm. It's a good example. It's simple, but sometimes that yeah that can be okay. Simplicity is sometimes <laughs> it mean it helps. Simplicity will help, especially if you're trying to cross splats. Anything else for Changeling? Changeling is a a very fun game to play. I think that it it has a great deal of potential with Werewolf because of the Fianna Fiona cross, but also just because sometimes we use, for instance, some of our characters have sort of dreams, Uh, kinfolk, for instance, uh, artists. They can be a dreamer for a changeling. And that's one way of changelings gaining glamour. What does that mean? Well, Every time someone is inspired to create, either to write something or to paint something or to build something, maybe like a privacy wall, they are inspired by a design. And changelings feed off of that. And there's ways of which to do it. You can either just be in the presence of that person and just get glamour that way or you can ravage that person and basically steal all the glamour from them which is frowned upon that would it doesn't kill them it doesn't kill their their dreaming but it does make it difficult for them to sort of rebuild their glamour does that make sense so a a dreaming is the act of eating gnosis through inspirato Yes. Okay. So Da Vinci was either Fey or was surrounded by a lot of Fey. Yeah. Hmm. There you go. All right. So I think moving on, and this is this is the one I'm I'm maybe most intrigued with, and and Tom maybe you should be also because <laughs> I said so. Okay. So pay <laughs> is, attention, to me is spooky ghosts. Boog it out. Also known as wraiths. So specifically spooky. I I didn't. There can't be friendly. I didn't name it. And in that I totally did. So before we get to wraiths, Uh um, because like I said, wraith is wraith is not just wraith. If we're talking in this, in this type of environment, uh, in this type of scenario. So yeah, wraith is going to have three mini splats that are heavily integrated with it. Uh, You have demon, the fallen, 
you have Mummy, and then you also have Kindred of the East. So before we take on Wraith, we should go ahead and put a bow on Hunter, the Reckoning, and how that can be utilized uh, in in Guru games. Because Hunter, there's really three different variations of Hunters. Yeah, that's a you whole like fucking... The, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a ball of wax. Um, but those are pretty cut and dry about how to utilize them. And as the only person I happen to know at this table that's played Hunter, uh, Porter... Wanna wanna let you take care of it? Well, okay. Um, I you know, I, I'm not by any means a hunter expert here. I know they're squishy meat puppets, right? Well, I I played Hunter the Reckoning for two games. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, I I felt it was best described as going bowling and being the pens, always being attacked and at the loss. And I mean, they're they're humans at the end of the day. I mean, they get some fun powers, um, but they're humans. So, like, if your leg gets broken, that's broken. Yes. That actually happened to me. So the second game, my character was in a wheelchair, and that was fun for me. Now, this could have been poor storyteller. I'm totally, and it's possibly likely. I'm sure it's a better game than I had experience with. Okay. Um, I'm sure of that. <laughs> but, you know, again, that goes back to quality of the, quality of the ST. But like Grant brought up, Hunter is the easiest to integrate. We all know... Um, we can wrap our heads around the concept of being humans with powers hunting things in the dark or without powers, depending on the version of Hunter you're playing. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they're legit just dudes, which to me is a complete exercise in pointlessness. Like, don't get attached to that character. He's going to die. I mean, right? I mean, just off of what we went over with these last three splats, those things will wipe, just, just mop the floor with them. Right. But, you know, we, but the point here. Though, is I don't think, you know, there's, there's hardly, I, I think, hundreds of footnote at best. Because we know this concept. We, we, you have seen Van Helsing or watched Supernatural. That shows on 15 fucking years. You know, um, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. These are all basically Hunter. Yeah, normal people killing. More or things. less, yeah. right? We're, we're all familiar with that concept and how to integrate. And I feel like that... This is all of the conversation that needs to be given to it, I feel. I mean, Hunter is just an offshoot of Werewolf. It's just human well, It's part aspect. of the world of darkness. Right. I mean, everything at that point. And yeah. they're all offshoots of each other, I guess. <laughs> you know, I just feel Hunter isn't a concept that anyone ever should have a hard time wrapping their head around. There's too many examples of it in pop culture. And there have been. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it's it's not like Changeling or Wraith or where you have to get the whole concept or, you know, there are there are higher concepts. It's it's a dude who's hunting things that go bump in the night. You got it. That's all you need to know. Right. That said, personally, um, I like uh, my favorite version has always been the Project Twilight, which um, it's it's an older book. I mean, I guess they're all older books. What do you want? <laughs> oh, I love Project Twilight. What? I have I have actually two copies on my because I she liked it I so much she bought one. a second one. <laughs> I liked it so much. Well, no, I thought I had lost it, and then when I found it again, I'm like, oh yeah, I have two copies. So I have a working copy and one that's like pristine. See, there you go. I've got there's a couple books here that there are more than one copy of for various reasons. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you know, I like the Project Twilight because it was like the, it's like the government. It, it's it's basically a riff on the X Files. Oh, okay. I can see where that gets real interesting real quick. Yeah. You know, it's just it's a little tiny book, generic kind of World of Darkness book, but I thought it was really neat. Hmm. 
And there's a graphic in there. There's a, a piece of art that has that kind of like mafia, you know, the little chart of the, the hierarchy. The hierarchy, the way yeah. it goes down. And it's, you know, get the string going and it's just full of nonsense. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like a La Sombra, Shadow Lords, and the Girl Scouts of America. It's fucking great. It, it's just, it's a good, it's a good chuckle. Oh, man. Tying those three together. Right there. <laughs> all three of, I think all three of those appear on that piece of art. Nice. I haven't seen it in a while, but I know Shadow Lords and the Girl Scouts show up. I'm not sure about the lasagnas. <laughs> the lasagnas. Been waiting to do that all show. <laughs> As soon as y'all start talking about, you know, lasagna, I'm like, no, I'm going to. The lasagnas. I'm, right. I'm going to mispronounce that as lasagnas. It's, it's always best to, um, you, you want to integrate these things organically. You know, it's, it's all part of the same world. And whenever possible, you want to find a way to just, you know, e- ease into that kind of thing. You don't, you don't want to have it be, you know, this, this is the, this is the changeling episode. Mm-hmm. This is the mage episode. Don't if you put a help hat it. on it. Yeah. Right. You know, it might be new to that character or, or to the players, but it is a part of the world. It's not like coming to America. Good morning, everybody. <laughs> right, you know. They had good hats in coming to America. Really good hats. I mean, in that case. <laughs> Take your word for it. <laughs> well, now's your time to shill for Demon and Mummy. Oh, if you wanted right. to shill a little, this this is this is painful to me. I will go ahead and start with the one that has the least amount of of overlap with Werewolf in general, <clears throat> and it's going to be Demon the Fallen. Um, Demon the Fallen, uh, for those of you that aren't familiar, is a mini splat that was released right around the time of Judgment, um, towards the end of the third edition. Due to that, some things that occurred in the meta plot have to occur in order for that splat to exist such as the, the Ravenos antediluvian dying and some other things. Whenever you're trying to integrate that mini splat into a werewolf game, you're looking, you're realistically looking at an apocalypse game. You know, they are very, very overpowered when it comes to the splats. They're, they're sort of like mage where they can do almost anything, but they have the resilience of a werewolf. So, yeah, I, I don't ever use them unless I'm doing an apocalypse game. Have you had different experiences, Melissa? I have never used Demon the Fallen. I I don't know enough about it. I don't even, I think I have a book on PDF, but I have never actually cracked it open enough to read it. Now, I, um, my, my first group, we, one of the guys picked up the Demon book. Um, I think we picked up Mummy too. I don't think we never played a game of either one, but both were picked up and, and Demon, I kind of have a little bit of a bone to pick with it because it was not only such a late edition, you know, it was like, I would call it the 11th hour game at that point. But the fact that they are so like, so overpowered and in the fact that it kind of, um, I feel, and I might be wrong and I might be misremembering and you know, these, these things happen we're human, but to me it, it was very much a, no, this is how the world of darkness really is. and really began. And, and, and I hate so much. I mean, this is the same thing with the original version of Exalted before they backed, they, they, they walked it back where Exalted was supposed to be the beginnings of the world of darkness and that didn't go well. And so they walked it back and Demon kind of felt the same way to where 
instead of all the different cosmologies that you learn about through through these games and how interesting all of those are, you're all wrong. It's this one. It's Christianity. That's the right one. And that pisses uh, yeah. me off inherently to just give that answer. I'm not into it. Absolutely. They, they definitely use demon as like the, 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 the deuces machina of, of the world of darkness. And I, I concur. I don't think that's the case. Um, I don't like that that's the direction the authors went with with Demon. If they had created another layer of uh, reality, it would have been a much better game. And they sort of learned that whenever they made the Demon the Descent and the Chronicles Darkness, they, they went a totally different angle. The two games have like almost nothing to do with one another, uh, inspiration-wise, except for the name, which was a good thing for them because Demon the Fallen, they, they, they kind of triple down on the Judeo-Christian mythology, which was already heavily prevalent in Vampire, you didn't really need another game to go even more into that. And then on top of that, they, they're like, hey, this is the game that's it created everything. You know, It's the progenitor of all of the splats. Everything is the way that it is because demons fucked up back in the day. And so, yeah, I disagree with that as well. And it's a, it's a common argument in Wraith circles because... Their Charon, which is a, a huge signature character in Wraith, uh, he's like the creator of the society and things like that. There's also in the Demon of the Fallen lore, there's a demon called Charon, and there's a lot of congruencies that they try to say that this is what this was. The demons created this, and here's why. And uh, I just I balk at it, and I'm I'm not a fan, not a fan at all. And then when it's correlating to Guru, like the connection between demon and werewolf was almost an afterthought you know they they try to say that oh well the Gru were really part of the the malhem which was basically war machines created by the demons on earth to fight the angels and that's what the Gru and the other pharaoh are descended from and there's like a footnote a footnote in in the uh, storyteller's guide um and that's pretty much it they don't even have any lures that have to do with werewolf concepts directly they have wars for everything else with all the other splats but for some reason they're just like no nah, we're just we're just going to ignore werewolf altogether and see the fun thing about that is um you know the i think i think i had a little vertigo there with the ferocity of the eye roll that just happened hearing about that you know mm-hmm. and i mean i you know maybe you guys disagree and by all means if you do i just i think the best place um the best way to integrate uh demon the you know demon into werewolf is like if maybe your table's uneven, and put and it you under can the just leg. put the book under that leg and. Nah. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, from what I'm hearing, my biggest issue is it requires this, this, and this to happen to be able to even integrate this. That kind of handicaps you storytelling wise and makes it linear because you have to follow this. So that, that can become an issue on if you're trying to come up with new ideas and you really, really wanted to integrate Demon, well, you have to do this, this, and this, and this to even have it plausible. Uh, it depends. If you hand wave the lore and say that, you know, the sixth maelstrom didn't happen and the abyssal shell and, like, the, the depths of the abyss wasn't cracked and the demons, you know, just escaped through some other way, because that, that's, the, that's the way the demons were released, is that Six Maelstrom happened, all that stuff with Antediluvian. It was a huge crossover event. And the end result was there was basically the demon's prison in the depths of the Abyss realm. I know how much Porter loves how everyone uses the Abyss for their own purposes. Yep. 
Can't have nice things. Can't have nice things. And that that's how the demons got out. But if you want to hand wave that little aspect of meta plot and just say, hey, demons are here, they've always been here, or whatever, whatever reasoning you want to utilize, you can use them as a superpowered denizen of the world of darkness. They can possess people, you know, they can do all kinds of crazy stuff that no other splat can do, go from one realm to the other. And yeah, I've used them, I've used demon but mostly in vampire games, and I've sort of used them as a parasite. Like, the the most prominent example I have is from a game I had a few years ago where, through some circumstances in the game, the vampire broke the phylactery, for lack of a better term, uh, of the demon and was possessed by the demon. But then when the demon realized what was going on, he realized he was just as much a prisoner inside the vampire as he was in control. And it created, like, a nice dynamic for that player character because I had basically a a storyteller shadow rave concept uh, in that character that I could manipulate that PC with and watch the player try to rail against this, you know, powerful voice in his head. Um, You could do similar things with that in werewolf. They'd still maintain the capability of possessing guru. It's just a lot harder, a lot easier to get purged. You know, just like anything else though, the werewolves are very, very, very resilient and, they're very resistant to other splats having this overly over influence on them. So if I was going to use them in a normal werewolf game outside of an apocalypse chronicle, I would look at them as sort of like a super powered, uh, banger from Mori and go from there. Yeah. See, that's what I was going to offer is like, or you could just like, they're just powerful bands. That's fine. Mm-hmm. And then, and then, Hey, maybe all their stupid lore is fake instead of their lore is the only good one. And everyone, all their, all the other games are fake. And there's just tough Fomora. That could be, or Banes. That could just, as a, you could just do that. That's, that's kind of what I was getting at. So these just seem like powerful Banes. Yeah, then that's maybe that, the best that tenders are having an issue with. <laughs> yeah, I was in a game. Storyteller sort of introduced a love interest for my character. And I found out, well, it was revealed that he was a demon. And I was like, yeah, hell no. The storyteller's like, well, you know, he's really the same person that you've always known. No, he's not. Like, he tried to, he tried to basically maneuver the, the splat itself. And that's what sort of turned me off Demon, because it, it didn't make any sense whatsoever to be incorporated into, into, like what was a human game and i'm like so i i don't know how would you use that how would you use them as an antagonist i mean i would say number one don't but there's many other antagonists you can have right but you know you can't say no to a hypothetical (laughs) right so you know you just treat them as strong banes yeah the end you see the the alternative when it comes to demon the fallen is that you can try to integrate demons in your game the way they were portrayed um, in like Vampire and the Dark Ages and things, as in they're like the boogeyman that you can get, you know, dark divestments from and, you know, makes like the devil's deals to get power and stuff like that. You can utilize those uh, in the Guru game, especially say if you have a, a Bonar that is continually a Bonar Metis, for example, perfect example, continually just beaten down and a and constantly gets the shit into the sticks nonstop in a game. And then through some circumstance, 
he uh, encounters this demon that is promising to fix all of their problems. And maybe that, that demon, that Bonar, can facilitate a, a dark deal where the Bonar really does start to overcome these things. But what it really is doing is increasing that guru's level of worm taint and uh, their, their corruption and degradation to the worm. Huh. Well, certainly. But, I mean, at the end of the day, it can also be done with a bane or even a spiral. Right. Then again, that's not... That's not, not one the episode. to one. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So. so what I will say about Demon is just like with Hunter, it's a very fun game to play independent of the other splats. I think it's a really fun game. It's got a lot of potential for exploring those religious concepts that some people find uh, troubling. And you can really go super deep into it. It's just a really bad fit to integrate with Guru because there's better options out there. So I don't want to take anything away from the splat. The splat is great. Yeah, well, yeah, we're, yeah, we're not we're not here to comment mm-hmm. on the individual games themselves. You know, that's right. Point of the episode is to integrate them into Werewolf. Right, right, right. right, right. So we're not we're not going after any of these particular games. We're, we're just mm-hmm. saying at this <laughs> point that Demon would be probably the most difficult out of all the splats. Mm-hmm. Now, um, you want to hit on Mummy too, Grant? I know. I do. Well, that's that's wrapped up with Wraith. So you're wrapped up with Wraith. Huh. Boo. Is it fun? <laughs> the mummy's wrapped up. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, none of us look, we made, none of us wanted that. You know, <laughs> that's the thing that happened yet, to us right there. Yeah. So the reason why I like mummy Jesus. so much. Mummy, there's three books for mummy. Well, there's four technically. But for the first two editions of Mummy, they were seen and developed as sort of a crossover splat between vampire and werewolf. And then the second one was even, it leaned into that and then added Wraith. And then the third one was sort of, it is a central splat the way Demon is, except it doesn't try to say that its way is the reason for everything. So in my opinion, Mummy is everything Demon wishes it could be when it comes to integration with the world of darkness. Bane mummies, which you may or may not be familiar with, they're their major antagonist in uh, Rage Across Egypt and any of those types of games. And those come directly from the, the second edition mummy book. So they're, they're really, that splat is one of the best and easiest to utilize to integrate crossover mechanics into a werewolf game. That's fair. I mean, I don't, I don't have much to add on, on the mummy front. <laughs> put him in some bandages and bury him in a hole and he I'm, gets unearthed and I, I am i am really my major focus here is to not make uh general mills monster cereal reference <laughs> <laughs> and that's really been the goal the whole time <laughs> you're succeeding so far i know and it's impressive because you guys have met me i know that's why i'm shocked you haven't made the joke you know what's disappointing is they don't have that cereal anymore. They have three of them, but not all five. Sort of sad. You have Frankenberry, Blueberry, and Count Chocula. Well, those are the old the OGs, and then like Fruit Brute came back. Well, Fruit Brute you can get in October. Certainly, you can get Yummy Mummy in October. I don't. Think. I haven't been able to find them. I don't. Let me know I if they've seen that in so long. I don't think so. But again, I don't frequent the cereal aisle anymore. So. Mm. Yeah, no, Yummy Bummy was uh, an invention of the 90s. They wanted a fourth monster after they banished the werewolf. 
Uh, yeah, so I think the biggest thing for Mummy that werewolf storytellers can utilize is that as convenient as Mummy is for like Silent Strider games and Rage Across Egypt and, and Fast Dead integrations is that you can also easily use it for integrating the Wraith world into your Guru games. Um, it's, it's, it makes a really nice bridge because of Silent Striders to go from one end to the other. And then Wraith, once you start opening up that bag of tricks, it's there's so much lore and it's so intricate and there's so much depth to that game that you almost need to hit pause on your game, on your werewolf game, as a storyteller, do a lot of research to get a warm and fuzzy about Wraith so you can properly integrate that stuff if you want. But there are there are easier alternatives. But because of my own personal love for Wraith, I encourage every werewolf storyteller to actually dive into the core book and learn a lot more about it because it can can really uh, enrich your games quite a bit. I mean, you already know how much having the Umbra can improve your game, your storyteller's game. Now imagine if there's a whole other Umbra that you can use to the same effect. And that's what Wraith is really offering. Well, and that's why, um, and why I pointed this out to you, Tom, because, you know, uh, with our current actual play series, you are playing a Silent Strider, you're playing a Therge, and here now we're talking about the dead. Boog so, it out. Boog it out indeed. But, you know, um, wraiths are not spirits. Truth. You know, they, they are ghosts. So, yeah, for those that's not familiar with the splat, uh, a long and short of what wraith is, uh, a wraith is a person that has died with enough willpower and reason to try to stay in existence to cross over in a spirit form to the Dark Umbra. They've changed the rules exactly mechanically of how that's worked from edition to edition. At one point in time, it was only people that had willpower of like six and up could become wraiths. Uh, They've made it a little bit more flexible now, where if you have a really strong connection to the world of the living, but weak willpower, uh, you'll cross over still, but you'll be like drone, which is just a, a ghost that has no autonomy and no sentience. They just repeat the significant events in their life um, through pantomime. So like you relive their murder every night, you know, or walk down the road where they got hit every night. This is ghost story type stuff. But then the race that have that willpower and those connections and will to accomplish things in life, they become full-fledged wraiths. Coincidentally, the big existentialist question for wraith that makes it so good is that every wraith has the potential to become a specter where they basically give in to oblivion, which is the wraith's world's idea of the worm. You know, this, this concept of entropy that can easily tempt and convince a wraith to fall to become one of these these dark reflections of themselves. Just piling it on. <laughs> Spirits aren't confusing <laughs> enough. Now I gotta worry about ghosts. Well and in that too is the the Dark Umbra, mm-hmm. which is the land of the dead. And now there is a lot more to that in terms <laughs> of Wraith. And and really I think um and correct me if I'm wrong, Grant, because I, I, I don't have the hands on with Wraith that that's really where you want to go to learn more about the dark umbra because there's not a whole lot elsewhere. Yeah. So you can learn a little bit from like the silent strider tribe book. And I think they, they reference it a lot in a few other books throughout the, throughout the splat. 
But if you want to get down into the nitty gritty of what the dark umber is, you're going to have to get into Wraith um, just because you don't have that information anywhere else. Because I think the, the cosmology of Wraith itself, the dark umber, you have a reflection of the physical realm. And that's considered the skin lands. That's the dark umbra, the way you would expect it to be. It's, it's sort of like the, the near umbral reflection but of the real world, but in the dark umbra, right? So you have the physical realm, you have the near umbra, which is still like the physical realm, but it's like Stranger Things physical realm, like that, that wall may be there, may not be there, that staircase may be there, may not be there. Well, the same exists in the dark umbra, just on the other side. So it's it's how the world has fallen apart. It's how it's collapsed. It's how it's degraded over time. So you know the piggly wiggly that's there on Fifth Avenue, you know in the in the near umbra might be built up, have some some previous buildings from previous restaurants or grocery stores. But then if you flip side and go to the skinlands of the dark umbra. That piggly wiggly is all decrepit and falling down. It's probably missing a wall. The doors are gone. The windows are shattered. And that's not even the actual deep dark umbra. I like that he's using piggly wiggly. It's, it's an interesting choice. Sounds like I'm going to need you to send me a Wraith book. <laughs> <laughs> so for beginning storytellers, that's the limit. At first, I would use the dark umbra in their games is... Start use, using that skin lands, you know, the dark umber reflection of the physical realm more often in their games. So that instead of having two layers of reality that the guru can access, the silent starter could actually access three. You know, they can access near umber and then the, the dark umber. And then once that gets established and you're really comfortable with that, then you can start looking more into other aspects of Wraith and getting into the deeper dark umber and all that stuff. And of course, the, the deeper you go into umbral travel, or I guess the less information there is, which is fun. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, you know, the more complicated it gets, obviously. Mm -hmm. But that's an obvious. Geez, I got a set of deja vu right here. There's some crazy deja vu. But yeah, the, the, the less information, the deeper you go, the, the more dangerous, the bigger of a deal it gets. But it, it is an obvious link between them. Mm hmm. You know, and especially as a strider, there's a whole avenue there to look into. Mel, you got much experience with Wraith? I have very little experience with Wraith. I always struggle to find the connections to any of the other splats. It just, and maybe it's because when I played it the first time, it was like first edition. And yeah, I I, I wish, it, like a lot of this, the different systems that I haven't really delved deep into Wraith is one of the ones that I have always wanted to play at least a game about as opposed to you know just you know just like a one-off just so that I get the general gist of what's involved with the actual system itself because for me I always felt that it was pretty useless in the system and I know that's a wrong way of approaching it. It's just that's the way that I have. I, I couldn't make sense of it. Let's just put it that way. I couldn't make sense of it. When I used it for one player that I did have a strider, I had to basically fudge the rules a little bit because I didn't know what I was doing. A for effort. You tried still because you had a strider. 
Yeah. And, and I wish I had had more information. I don't, I don't even know if I have the PDF of the, of the, the book. Uh, good thing we're doing this episode. Yeah. <laughs> so, so Grant, enlighten us. Yeah. So you have to think the, the vast majority of Wraith, um, the splat itself is going to be focused on the individual Wraith figuring out, resolving, whatever, the things that kept that individual tethered to their life, their old life. Their powers are also going to be focused on that type of stuff. The, by and large, the vast majority of Arcanoi, which is the, the powers that, that Wraiths use, are going to be focused on the Wraith world. The thing that's really interesting is that whenever Guru or vampires or any other denizen of the world of darkness go into the deep dark Umbra, they become susceptible to those powers to a certain degree. The only real exception off the top of my head that I know for a fact that they're completely immune to is Moliate, which is the Wraith's equivalent of vicissitude. Like Wraiths can change other Wraiths' appearance, plasma, they, they, they can manipulate what they look like, so on and so forth. Obviously, if you're not a Wraith, you're not made of ectoplasm, you're immune to that ability. But all the other ones, they are just as susceptible to the things that can really, really impact a guru is they have a couple big arcanoi that are super strong. You have uh, what's called intimidation, and you have one called emotionist. So intimidation actually is the manipulation of emotion. Wraiths that are skilled in this power can actually create remove or modify how people feel. So with strong enough power, they can actually force a guru straight into Harano, like straight out of the gate. Oh, um, Yeah, like, oh, here you are. What are you doing in my room? Oh, uh, I don't like you because you're this huge beacon of power. You know, because when guru go to the deep dark umbra, their aura basically is like them walking around with a lighthouse light on. You know, it's super bright, super vibrant. Everyone within a, like a five you know, square mile radius knows that, hey, that's a fucking creature that shouldn't be there. So Wraith that sees that is like, I don't want you anywhere near me. Fuck you. you super sad. Go away and leave me alone. And it's a simple role for them. It's a contested role. It's not like it's a major thing. They spend, they spend the, uh, their, their pathos, which is basically their, their gnosis, and they have a little bit of penalty to go for their shadow, which is their dark side. And uh, they utilize it and they, they can do it pretty easily and they can do it to anyone it's not just you know guru they can do it to literally anything and then emotion is, is the same type of power but when it comes to memories they can create modify change remove a creature's memories so say if a silent strider is down there and he's slipping not paying attention and this wraith gets a hold of him he can wipe out your childhood wipe out the fact that you know how to get to the umber to begin with you know, how do you get back home? Uh, me wipe out the fact that you know what a guru is. Me wipe out the fact that you know what the guru nation is. It has all this potential that if you go to the, the upteenth degree with raids and you get them like to this, the strong power levels, they, they can, they can destroy things. And you're in their world. They are these sharks of the dark umbra. You mess up and go down there, you're out of water. You know, the only ones that are in water are the ones that are from there. Well, no, let's take that in the other direction. Can that work the other way around in terms of rather than going to the Dark Armor to encounter a Wraith, are Wraiths able to show up? Yes. I yeah, feel like that. that would probably be, without having a Strider in your group, the, the better way 
to integrate. Is well, what it feels much like to me. Question: We, if you have a strider, <laughs> can you physically pull them from the umbra to get the shark out of water to be able to get the information you kind of need? If I remember correctly, yes, I think it's a right. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Porter. It's it's kind of a a minor detail that you know I, I've always hand waved it. If I need a strider to pull a wraith into the physical realm or the umbra, I just make it happen. I'm pretty sure there's a right for it, if I remember correctly, but it's been so long, and I, I've hand-waved that for so long, I'm not positive. But yeah, you, you pull them into into the real world, and then you can you have a lot more power on them. Yeah, because that talk about the Dark Umber makes me never want to go there. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it's not something you, that um, you should be doing lightly. Mm-hmm. You know, but the idea of maybe a Wraith, because it's, it's my understanding, and um, again, I the half of my big toe that I dipped into Wraith was done in the Werewolf 2nd Edition era. So I'm just going to say 1995 and just assume that that's when that happened. Long time ago, then. Yeah. But, you know, resolving their shit was the point of Wraith, to my recollection. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, so the idea that you would get some Wraiths, that maybe there would be crossover, you know, with that silent Strider who is already haunted... That makes sense to me. That that you would be interfering with, you know, that that um or maybe be harassed or whatever into helping that Wraith get that absolution. Is that is that uh am I talking crazy, Grant? No, no, absolutely. I mean it makes perfect sense. You have to think these these creatures, they exist because of a passion that happened. So yeah, you definitely need to take into account the fact that wraiths, they're, they're created because they have some type of connection to the, their formal lives. They have something that's drawing them and keeping them in some form of reality. And Guru, they're not exactly cognizant of non-Guru. You know, they go to O'Toole's, for example, to get a burger or to take out some Banes that's over there taking, taking over the, the restaurant. And through whatever happens in the battle... They happen to, to kill, you know, a family of four eating lunch at the at the restaurant. Well, obviously the father's going to be pissed off. Maybe the mother, maybe one of the kids. There's a fifty-fifty shot that one or, one or all of them is going to become raced at that, and then they're going to have this burning passion to, what the hell killed me? Why did this kill my family? I need to get repercussions and reparations from this creature. And so you can really introduce raids as that type of thing and create this hey there's a reason why as a guru you can't just go around killing things and murking things because there's consequences not everything is supernatural and if you kill a normal person there's a chance that all of a sudden you've built yourself a new antagonist that you can't see you can't go to their home realm typically and that with enough power they can materialize in your homeland in your home realms and they can really mess things up and you're not really going to know that it's going on until it's too late you know say you kill that family and the father becomes a wraith and he figures out that, Hey, this thing is the thing that killed me. He's got however long to figure out what it is. And now he has a vendetta against guru as a whole, you know, think about how many people were wiped out in the Persian. There's probably a couple of wraiths that still in existence from that time frame that know they were wiped out by the wolves, of the woods, and they have this burning hatred for those types of creatures. And they're going to take those newly pissed off wraiths under their wing and like, hey, this is what this was. This is how we can really get back at them. This is how you can make things even. 
Yeah, I, I did something similar like that with my game. One of my players killed a a cop, and yeah, I introduced a wraith. He was a shot. He was a silent strider, so I had a bit of fun with it, not knowing enough about wraiths. So this has been very useful. I think it's a great angle to lean in on, especially if you have a, a group that maybe plays fast and loose with that sort of thing in terms of casualty count. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, I'm going to be the, I'll be the first one to sit there and tell you that, you know, a, the, the morality uh, with a Garu should be a sliding scale because they are not humans and, you know, you can't make an omelet. Sometimes shit happens, but there's a difference between understanding a casualty of war or accidents happen and, uh, you know, hey, let's run around and murder the humans. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, there's a difference there. And so, oh, yeah. you know, I think that's a great way for, like, is has been brought up as consequences when or if your characters get a bit too fast and loose with that shit, or your players do, rather. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, even not as an abject lesson. How about that time when you're not looking around and paying attention caused a veil breach because someone was jogging down the road and you had to go take care of that guy. Boom. He becomes a right. You know, there could be some really good stories in that. Mm-hmm. I like that. Yeah. You got to go take care of the correct veil, but then you made a bigger problem. <laughs> right. Well, not a bigger problem, but, but you made a problem. Yeah. See, I mean, there's all this potential. That's why I encourage, even if you don't learn any other splats information, Wraith is the one that has the most potential to, to support and enrich all the other Splats games because that's, I mean, that's how they built it. You know, Vampire has the Giovanni and Necromancy and it's it's an instant connection there with that. And then you have the Silent Striders and, the, and you know, Wraith, it's instant connection. You know, all of them have this type of connection to the Wraith world that they can really, really a storyteller can really gain a lot of benefit from learning that system or the lore at least. You know, even if you don't go through and learn the, the ins and outs of the system, just the lore itself uh, can really add an extra layer of depth to your games and it gives you a lot more options in your tool bag to, you know, change your story quite a bit. You know, especially if you have an experienced table that have been playing one splat for years and years, it gets to a point where they almost anticipate what you're doing and they can derail your story a little bit. I know Danny's kind of notorious for that. By using these other splats lore and powers and abilities and capabilities, you can sort of circumvent that or at least create a big backlash for that particular player. Something whenever you get to a really strong level of experience with Wraith that I would encourage storytellers to do is actually have these silent striders in your games do what, according to their lore, they were originally intended to do, which is shepherd, you know, the 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 deceased to their final resting areas. So in Wraith, you have sort of the far shores, which is sort of like the the point of their afterlife that they were supposed to go to, Valhalla, heaven, hell, whatever. And then there's all these stops along the way. So I would encourage you know someone to to take their silent strider into that type of story arc where you have a family or people or even kinfolk that died. And for some reason, instead of going back to the great cycle being reincarnated, they became a wraith. Well, how would you solve that? How are you going to get that, those, those wraiths back into the reincarnation cycle? 
Well, there's a couple ways you can go about doing it. My personal favorite is to have a silenced rider go and find the wraith in the umbra or in the dark umbra in the underworld, help them resolve the things that's connecting them to to the living world, and then actually ferry them on to their final destination so that they can be rejoined into the cycle. It, it is worth noting that these these kind of trips, I mean, we're talking about it kind of casually, but it's it's a big deal. Absolutely. Um, so it's definitely, you know, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't tell that story during my rookie season as a storyteller, certainly. Mm-hmm. And I mean, if someone wants to go for it, by all means, but I think it's the importance there of really looking into it. And I think doing your homework on this is kind of important. But then again, this is why I kind of wanted to keep Wraith to later because of the that integration mm-hmm. with the dark umbra and how much of a bigger deal that is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it, so yeah, you get into the deep dark umbra and you have to think that Stygia, which is the underworld, basically it's the, the world of the dead that they've built up over thousands of years. That's its own thing. Like that's its own, that's not a reflection of the physical realm. That's deeper. It's its own basically near or its own particular pocket realm. If that's what you want to call it. But it's equivalent to the far, the far umbra, right? Dark umbra. And you have all these different lands and cultures and, and social political structures that are inherent in these things. And there's just so much depth, so much depth to, to what they can do, especially if you go off into what the different types of wraiths and how they would interact. You know, maybe that silent strider tries to, he wants to pull you know, Uncle Eddie back from, from the Dark Umbra for whatever reason, but instead of pulling back Uncle Eddie that he remembers from life, he pulls back the dark side of Uncle Eddie. Maybe he fell to the oblivion in the meantime. And so, you know, Eddie doesn't exist anymore. Now you have, you know, asshole Edward, and he's going to lie to you and manipulate you and do whatever instead of helping you out. So, you know, definitely, uh, definitely a lot of possibility. And I think uh, I think that's about... Yeah, about where where we're gonna have to leave it. I will say, uh, this is final thoughts, um, and it's been brought up a couple times already through the episode, is to make sure you you understand the motives of of the characters you're bringing in, to make sure you have a firm understanding of your reasoning for bringing in these other Desians of the World of Darkness. Remember that sometimes you know less can be more, and and to keep things framed in the lens of what you're working with. So that we don't end up overcomplicating or confusing players with these new concepts that aren't going to stick because you're not staying with those other games you're playing Werewolf. Mm-hmm. Make sure you know enough that your players don't have to open a book to know a thing. Right, and moreover that you're not accidentally giving a lecture on vampire hierarchy mm-hmm. for, or or better yet, changeling you know, hierarchy for a game that's never going to have changelings or fey in again after this two chapter thing. Right. You know, just to keep it all in a perspective and easily digestible. Um, any other uh, final notes, Mel, Grant? Have fun. Be creative. Use the options that you have available. They are, you don't have to stick with just one. You can, you know, flavor it a little bit. And I think, if storytellers want to, you know, don't get, as you said, don't get too ambitious, but, you know, have a little fun, throw a little creativity, confuse your players a little bit. It's okay. Cause they, they learn from that. Grant. Do not be like I did. 
when I first started playing and think that I can play storytell three different splats at the same time per week. Oh, that's, do just, that's just burnout. That's, that's what's going to happen there. Like I mentioned in the one episode, when we're talking about crossovers. There is some potential there, but it's easier to do it behind the doors and just let your players focus on one splat. I, I would agree. Grant, Melissa, thanks for joining us. It's always great to hang out with you guys. Of course. It's a pleasure to hang out with you guys. I think on that note, it's it's about time for us to get going. So on behalf of myself, uh, Melissa, uh, Grant, and of course, Mr. Tommy Dixon, mm. we want to say uh, take care of yourourselves, take care of each other, keep your claws sharp, and your head in a swivel. We'll see you later. Is it pun? <laughs> the mummies wrapped up. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, none of us. Look, we made, none of us wanted that. Yeah, oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing that happened to us right there.